Now we continue with our look at some of Asia's frontier markets. These markets often have high GDP growth, favourable demographics and a low correlation with global markets, which provides a hedge in the event of a global market downturn. As wages in China increase, manufacturing activities are shifting to these frontier markets. One beneficiary of this change is Vietnam. Its GDP rose by 7.5% in the third quarter. The economy of Vietnam is the 47th largest in the world. And according to a forecast by PricewaterhouseCoopers, Vietnam's economy could become the 20th largest in the world by 2050. To look further at Vietnam's potential, I'm joined now by Nitin Dialdus, who is the CIO of Mandarin Capital. Good morning, Nitin. Vietnam's economy grew at 7.5% last quarter. That makes it one of the fastest growing economies in the world, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think it's something that will be sustained. Uh, If you look at Vietnam and where it is today, it's probably where China was about 10 or 15 years ago, but it's supported also by the fact it's got a young demographic, something that China's actually struggled with. So you're seeing a lot of innovation, you're seeing a lot of um, young, hungry citizens who actually want to make a better life for themselves. So whether it be, you know, happy to manufacture goods for all over the world, in which they're starting to do, I mean, a lot of the sports wares, a lot of the clothing wear, they're all starting to move the manufacturing bases to Vietnam. Um, or whether it's a case of, you know, increasing the services side, you're seeing it right across the board in Vietnam. So, yeah, I think that growth rate is uh, it's going to be healthy for quite a while. To get, come, okay. And is that how we should imagine Vietnam as being another China? Maybe not exactly the same, but with the same sort of potential, except, you know, a couple of decades earlier, as you said? Yeah, um, to a certain extent, yes. I, I think, obviously, there, I mean, there are some similarities. You've both got communist governments. Um, you've got targets in the sense that the economy, the government is very targeted into having certain economic growth to come through. But I think the differences with Vietnam, they're a lot more open. So you're seeing a lot more um, openness to having foreign companies come in. In fact, most of the uh, most of the industries now you can have wholly owned foreign enterprises. So it doesn't actually have to be controlled by a local. Um, so that's obviously a lot more beneficial than where China was and where China still is. Um, in addition to that, you've got a government that's very much in control of the debt situation. And again, when you're comparing the two, you've seen in China that the debt um, mm-hmm. exploded, whereas in Vietnam, they're keeping a very, very tight hold on that. So, yeah, to a certain extent, it is very similar to China in the sense they do have high growth targets. They do have, I mean, the, the economy itself is ripe for the movement, uh, for the growth that we saw in China, say, 10, 15 years ago. But it's doing in a lot more controlled way. And I think that's the positive that we are seeing that's coming through from Vietnam and makes us bullish for it. And what sort of sectors and industries dominate the economy in Vietnam? What drives it? Um, again, you, as I said earlier, looking at the manufacturing, that, that's mm. underpinning a lot. Um, the fact that a lot of manufacturing is moving over there, a lot of people are looking at that as a low-cost alternative as China moves uh, further up the food chain. They don't have the cheapest labour in the world. That probably belongs to India. But India doesn't have the manufacturing capabilities or maybe the manufacturing wherewithal that Vietnam has. So that's probably where you're starting to... I mean, that's what's underpinning the economy. But going beyond that, you know, you look at the property sector, there's a lot of property growth and a lot of foreigners who are owning their properties now in Vietnam. You look Mm -hmm. at consumerism. As I said, it's a young, hungry, vibrant uh, economy. So people are young. They They want to buy the latest brands. They want to buy the you know the best known brands out there and, and so that's also underpinning it so it's a whole 
area. I mean, food and beverage is actually quite strong in Vietnam as well. A lot of Thai investment into the food and beverage um, sector in Vietnam. So it's various sectors, but underpinning it all is obviously the manufacturing side, which it is taking over from China. And what is its banking and financial services sector like? Is that growing? It's growing, it's developing. Um, it is probably still a little bit behind uh, a lot of the world, but they're recognising their issues and they are starting to push forward with reforms and uh, improving the banking and services sector. So it is, it, it's, a growing, it's a growing part of the economy, but... You know, it's dominated probably by about three, four banks still. And, um, but you are starting to see a lot more new entrants that will come in and improve the, um, the sector as a whole. And how have their markets, their stock markets performed? Have they reflected the economic growth that we're seeing there? Stock market's been on fire. Um, it's had periods of having a bit of corrections and times, as all markets do. But if you look at it over, say, the last 12 to 18 months, it's been one of the best performing markets in the world. And um, it's reflecting what we're seeing. Um, I think there's still a lot more to go. I don't think we're, you know, we're we're just at the start of what I think will be a multi-year bull cycle. It doesn't trade so much in line with the rest of the world because it's too small. Hmm. Um, but That's that a good hedge then, isn't it, really, for, it, for things in the other parts of the it, world? It is unless there's a massive crisis. Hmm. Um, so, say, I mean, thankfully things have been quiet for the last week or so, but say Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un decide that they want to start, you know, having a bit more of a fight and something really does happen. That you can't prevent. And being a small market, any market that all all investors will take risk off the table. And it doesn't matter where it is or what In the fundamentals are. And being a small, it will be a lot more affected. Hmm. But if things remain normal and, uh, you know, as economies just run along and we don't have any, geop- you know, massive geopolitical uh, shock, then, um, yeah, I think it will continue to, uh, it will be a very good hedge to a lot of the markets, especially with when you look at the rest of the world markets that are trading at very, very excessive P's. And what is the size of the market? How many stocks are there? What's the market cap overall? There's a lot of stocks. I mean, I can't give you the exact number off the top of my head, unfortunately, but I think it's about six, seven hundred stocks. So there's a lot of stocks, but in terms of liquidity, it's very, very tight. Hmm. So, I mean, you're really talking about the top 20, 30 stocks that get traded. And then outside of that, it's, you know, very, very limited trading. And that needs to start developing. And it is starting to develop. I mean, there are a lot more people looking at Vietnam. So therefore, as more entrants come in, you are seeing a lot more stocks being looked at. There's new IPAs coming out. A lot of IPAs are happening on an almost weekly basis. Um, so that's only going to increase number. It's going to increase liquidity. Um, the other part is foreign participation. Um, at the moment, there are foreign participation limits in stocks, So, and they have reached limits. So when you look at the top stocks, you're not getting a lot of... You can't actually increase the foreign participation at the moment because they are at their limits. And that underpins some part of the growth in the stock market. Those limits eventually will... Um, they'll be disbanded, I guess, is the best way of putting it. It's just a period of time, a question of when. And that will allow a lot more growth. And once you get more foreign uh, foreigners participating in the market, it'll start spreading across the stock. So I think, you know, it's a, it's a market that will continue to grow and there's a lot more upside on there. So if listeners want to invest in Vietnam, how do they do it? Um, at the moment, you've still got to uh, open up a foreign account with a, with a Vietnamese broker uh, in Vietnam. Um, but we're in the internet age, so a lot of stuff is quite easy these days in terms you can... Google and find, there again, probably four or five top brokers. Yeah. And then there are quite a few small brokers outside of that. And there's but funds, the, of course, as well, and ETFs. Yeah, the only one uh, caveat I'd say if you want to v- uh, invest directly into Vietnam is you have 
currency controls coming out. So that's something to bear in mind. So if you are going to go in there, you've got to work out how you're going to get your money back out. But that's quite simple. If you can show that you put it in, you should be able to be, be able to take it out. But yeah, otherwise ETFs. And there are lots of ETFs that you can look at and funds. Nitin, thank you very much. Thank you. That's Nitin Dialdus, the CIO of Mandarin Capital. And that's it for Money Talk Extra this weekend. Hong Kong's personal finance programme will be back next week at the same time when we'll talk about how to find a financial advisor and the questions you should ask to decide if they are suitable. Jimmy Lam will speak to a Money Talk Extra listener who is a fashion designer and explore some of the financial challenges from working in the fashion industry. And I'll look at another Asian frontier market, Bangladesh. So please do join Jimmy and me next Saturday at the same time. In the meantime, this is Peter Lewis, hoping you have a great weekend.